0: Hello and welcome everyone to Westside Christian Church. Today, John Wade is bringing the teaching to you. So grab a Bible and join us as we study God's Word together. I know it's unbelievable, but today we are going to be wrapping up chapter 1 of 1 Peter. It's only taken us the better part of three months. <laughs> There's a lot to get into in the remaining three verses of First uh, Peter, so let's go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right into our text for today. Uh, so let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Peter's words to us. and Father, we pray that we would take them to heart, uh, that we would learn from them, that we would grow and mature in faith, to your great glory, Father. That is our strong desire, that uh, your name would be made great. Um, Father, that we would um, grow in our adoration and our exaltation, our worship of you, that our desire to follow after you would grow more strong um, as we go from day to day. and Father, we pray for help with that. We pray for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. We pray for his power to work in us as we read the text and help us to understand. Father, we love you so very much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. Uh, And it says this. It'll also be up on the screen. Also, if you have uh, a tablet or a smartphone uh, and you have the Faith Life Study Bible um, app, you can follow along with our presentation in Proclaim and see all of our verses there. Uh, But this is what it says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So far in 1 Peter, we've already seen a great deal about hope, joy, and holiness. And Peter continues with these same thoughts, but he also builds upon them further in this passage. Peter says that while we're not achievers of our salvation, while nothing that we do merits our salvation, we are most assuredly participants in our sanctification. There's a difference. Salvation, we're dealing with what saves you from hell. Sanctification, we're dealing with the ongoing process of growth and becoming holy. This ongoing process, this sanctification, is the process of maturing as a believer, of growing in faith as a Christian. And we are intimately involved in that process. We are directly responsible for this aspect of our lives and faith. You are responsible before God for your continued learning and growth. You are responsible to learn, to grow, to read, to worship, to commune, and to fellowship. You are responsible for the practical day-to-day living of life as a follower of Christ. So many people mistakenly believe that since we can't earn our salvation, that that gets us off the hook for obeying God's word, but that's not how this works. That's not how this works. Certainly, we don't earn our salvation, but that doesn't get us off the hook for responsibility before God. That doesn't get us off the hook for obedience. We don't get carte blanche to go and do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, because we have been and are being saved. We must be changed by God's work in our lives. In fact, scripture says very clearly that if the evidence of the spirit is not there, then the spirit's not there. Salvation doesn't exist. There must be fruit. There must be fruit. We're told that when one is saved truly, when one is when one is a member of God's elect, there Is evidence in how one lives, how one speaks, how one behaves. The results of our conversion as Christians should be holy living. And it should be that we are continually growing. Again, not perfection. We're not perfected right now. But we are certainly, if we are in Christ, to be growing. We are certainly to be improving. Our faith and our hope in Jesus, who is the truth, should produce actions that are evidence of the gospel, the good news of salvation. It should produce certain things. And I I love the the list, the fruit of the Spirit, the things that are present in the lives of believers. I think these things are such wonderful proofs of true conversion, love, joy, peace, patience, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things are all wonderful proofs. They show us the work of God. And they're also a blessing. They're also a blessing, not only to the individual who is portraying these, the, the fruit, but also to the church as a whole. As we do these things, as we show these proofs, these fruits, we are truly loving one another. In fact, I think that's so. that the, the reason that the list starts with love as a fruit of the Spirit is that that's what all of this is about. Peter goes on to actually describe love. He says that this love that's produced in our lives when we are truly one of the elect, when we are truly saved by God, this love that's produced for fellow believers, for one another amongst the body, that it's earnest. Peter describes it as earnest. It's pure. If we're in Christ, this is a result of conversion. We love by nature. Not the old sinful nature that we've had in the past, but the new nature, the new birth that God has given to us. We love This isn't the strained, pretentious love described to us all in Sunday school growing up where we're told, oh, well, you don't have to like somebody, you just have to love them. No, this love that we have is real love. It's supernatural love. It's not found in nature. It's not found in the natural world. It is supernatural love that comes from God. It is not a forced or belabored love. That's not to say that it's not sometimes hard work. It most assuredly is. But genuine love is not hate masquerading behind empty words. This is so very important for us to get as Christians because a significant portion of the problems in the church in America today could be solved if people actually prayed that we would be filled with the love of Christ and that they would love their brothers and sisters in Christ and that it would be overflowing From their lives. So, what does this holy, supernatural Christian love look like? Well, Paul gives us a pretty good picture in 1 Corinthians what love this love looks like. He says this 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7 says this Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. As Christians, this is the type of behavior that God expects from us towards one another in the church. And that, quite frankly, is produced by the work of Christ in the life of the believer. When love is not present, we gossip, we slander, we belittle, we falsely accuse, we are overly critical, we go behind our brothers and sisters' backs, we keep things secret that ought not to be. That is not acting in accordance with the new life that we have been given in Christ Jesus. It's not acting like Christ himself. You know who we're acting like when we do those things? We are acting like the Pharisees. The Pharisees, it's not a good thing to be compared to. That should concern us a great deal. Jesus says of the Pharisees that they do not belong... To him. He says, They are not the sheep of his pasture. They belong to their father, the devil. Jesus' words, not mine. When we do not love one another, as Christ has commanded, we are showing our true colors. We are commanded and enabled to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And a couple things to note. Number one, this doesn't mean that we're always going to get along. Sometimes we're going to get angry with one another. We're going to hurt one another. Even sin against one another. But our love is stronger than those things. It binds us together and enables us to forgive one another. It helps us overcome differences and work through the hurts and effects of sin. It binds us together as the old song says. Bind us together in love. And when it does this, it does so to the glory of God. Number two, in talking about love here, Peter is talking about the love amongst Christians for Christians. This is so very important that we get. Remember what I said about reading the Bible? Context is king. He is speaking of believers' love for others believers. That's not to say that we shouldn't love non-Christians, but rather that we love our non-Christian friends in a different way. We love non-Christians in a different way. Our love for those outside of Christ works somewhat differently than for those who are already part of the body. Just as I don't love each of you in the same way that I love my wife, we too don't love Those outside of Christ in the same way we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So very important for us to get that we love differently. Because if you love those outside of Christ in the same love that you love the church, you're not going to be an effective minister of the gospel. You're not going to be an effective minister of the gospel. Jesus loved those far from God by telling them the truth. By saying, go and sin no more. Stop what you're doing for the love of God. Turn around. There's a fundamental distinction in identity between those who are in Christ and out of Christ. Remember what I just said about the Pharisees? There's only two groups of people the sheep of Christ's pasture, and those who are not his sheep. Again, don't misunderstand. Love is still there for all. Because God loves all. God loves everything that he has made. Every creature, great and small, from the least that the world considers not worthy the preborn children, those born with difficulties mentally and physically, those that our world would so openly reject and murder as being imperfect, God loves greatly because they bear His image. But we are to love one another with a distinct and powerful love in the church that is so very different from anything that the world knows. Of love. And Peter says that this is all possible. Our hope, our joy, our holy living, our loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. All of this is made possible by the work of God, by His causing us to be born again. By His work, it is made reality that which otherwise would not be possible in reality. Peter says we are changed as Christians. Fundamentally, deep down at the core, at the base of our existence, we have been radically altered. We are deeply different from those around us in the world, or at least we should be. Not because of anything we've done that we should be proud or boastful, but because of Christ. Scripture is very clear on this. The second we start thinking that our love is so strong because we're so nice, we're so wonderful, we've done it wrong. The only place that we can boast in is in Christ Jesus. Peter says, new seed has been sown in you. New seed has been sown. Not perishable seed, but seed that is imperishable. And Peter once again reminds us at the end of verse 23 that it's not our doing, but rather the work of God through the living and abiding word of God. Peter says, you didn't sow yourself. That's not how it works. New seed has been sown in you that's imperishable by the work of God, and this through the word of God. Peter then speaks the words that Isaiah records in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. Speaking of the word of God, he says this, A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Peter says all of your achievements, all your strength, all your works, all your efforts, they're ultimately like grass. They're like the flowers of the field. If you are trying to do anything on your own and think by your own power you're going to accomplish anything, remember, all of this fades it withers, it falls, but the word of the Lord is enduring and remains forever. There's an old phrase from a preacher of the Reformation that quite honestly, I don't remember his name. But I remember the phrase, and I think it's kind of appropriate that I don't remember his name because of what is said in the phrase. This reformer proclaimed in a time when many theologians and preachers were gaining great fame, a day very much like our own, where people are on TV gathering money so they can buy themselves a new jet, he said, preach the gospel, die forgotten. Preach the gospel, die forgotten. Appropriate, because he recognized There is only one thing enduring about what we do as preachers, as proclaimers of the gospel, as witnesses of Christ Jesus. And I'm not just speaking about preachers right now. I'm talking about all of us. As messengers of the gospel, there is one task that we do that is eternally significant, and that is glorifying our God and proclaiming his name. This one task is great. This one task does not... Fail, this one task does not wither because it is based in upon and proclaims forth the word of God that is everlasting. And this should give us great hope as believers. This should give us great hope in our lives as God continues his great work through his everlasting word, the good news, the evangelion, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is indeed God. God doesn't begin doing a work and then grow tired. God doesn't start something and then walk away saying, it's too hard. I give up. I surrender. I back down. I've grown bored of this. No, God doesn't do that. When God begins a work, he doesn't fall short of the task. What he intends to accomplish, he accomplishes indeed. And our God accomplishes exactly what he he sets out to. He is faithful and strong to such a degree that even his very words remain forever. When all else fades and withers and crumbles and dies. There's something powerful in the word of God. When God sends forth words, they accomplish great things. You ever notice that in the text? When God speaks, things happen. Things happen. Great things. Awful things Amazing things. I'm using awful there in the true sense of the word. Full of awe. Not bad. <laughs> when God sets out to do something, even when he just speaks about it, it happens. Right now I'm doing some uh, some study for one of my classes on Genesis 1 through 3. And it's so very interesting to me, the rebellion of Secular theologians who come to the text and say, Oh, well, God couldn't have possibly created out of nothing. Really? Really? You're going to tell me that when I see God raining down fire from the heavens? You're going to tell me that when I see God appearing as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? You're going to tell me that when I see God producing manna from nothing on the ground and making quail just walk up to people lay down to be killed for dinner you're going to tell me that God can't create out of nothing when we have seen him multiply a few little loaves and fish to feed thousands you're going to tell me that he can't do it when he can turn water into wine when he can fundamentally alter matter from one state to another it's a profoundly difficult thing for God to speak something into existence who can call forth the dead to life? You're going to tell me that that's hard for God? Really? That he can't accomplish what he sets out to accomplish, even by his mere word? That is the epitome of hubris and pride to say God can't because we simply don't understand how. God is immensely and immeasurably powerful. And that same power that creates, that same power saves us. His same power not only creates and saves, but then it also enables us. In this context, it enables us to love one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't tell me you don't think that you can forgive your brother or sister in Christ. Don't tell me that you think you can't forgive your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are given the same power to love. By the Holy One. Who died and came back to life. And who spoke existence into being. The same power one who has the power to forgive sin and raise the dead empowers you to love don't tell me that's that it's impossible When we serve the one true God who can calm the wind and settle the storm, who can part vast waters and rain down fire, who can lead a nation through the wilderness, who can do all of these things, turning sickness into health and blindness into sight and muteness into speech and deafness into hearing and death into life. Don't tell me that it's impossible. Possible when God himself has said he makes it possible for you to love your brothers and sisters. Yes, you can love because God has poured his own love into you. We can love one another with the love of Christ because of the power of God working in our lives daily as we hear the living and abiding word of God. God's words are powerful as we've seen. It's not like when a politician speaks and gets nothing done. No, when God speaks, everything that he says happens. Life flows from his lips. And it's not the love that we're so used to seeing. Not from our culture, not from our movies and our television, the love of God that we are empowered with and empowered to have, it's unlike anything known by the world. It's not natural. It is supernatural. So many movies display this twisted picture of love. What people see is really self-seeking, self-serving, Self interest that seeks to exchange one thing for another. If you give me X, I'll give you Y. That's not love. That's not love. I just read an article not too long ago about how relationships are all about this type of exchange and interaction. I'll give you X for Y. And that's what they thought love boiled down to that love was a transaction. My friends, love is not a transaction. It's far greater than that. The love that God gives us and empowers us with is one of selflessness. It does not seek recompense. It's not a transaction, a sale, a swap or an exchange. It is freely given. My friends, let's love one another with that kind of love, the love of Christ. May we forgive one another bear one another's burdens to the glory of Christ, our King and our God. May we love one another so much that when the world looks at us, they say, that's weird, but that's awesome. That's weird, but that's awesome. To the glory of God. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you so much for your love. Father, we are so unworthy of it and undeserving of it, and that is what makes it so very great in my mind that I can't achieve it, I can't merit it. There's nothing I can offer you in exchange for your love, and yet you give it anyway. You're so selfless at self-sacrificing. You're so giving that it, it makes me frightened sometimes. Because I am so not that way by nature. But Father, we pray that you would give us all that new nature. That we would love selflessly. Empower us to that daily. Send your Holy Spirit to indwell us that we may show that love. That your name may be made great. That is our prayer, Father we do love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you do not know this love of God, we're going to have a time of invitation this morning. And this, uh, this time is for anybody who's not made a um, statement of, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is a time for you to do as scripture commands, if you have not, to repent and believe. It's a time for you to surrender to Christ, to declare that he is indeed Lord. If you need to do that this morning, won't you come as we stand and as we sing together? Thanks for joining us for the message today. If you would like more information about this and other teachings, or you'd just like to know more about Jesus, Visit our website at wccjb.org or come visit us at 1405 Persimmon Ridge Road in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Check our website and Facebook page for service times. We hope you join us again and that we'll see you soon.